So about 20 years ago, I worked at a law firm and I did um, medical research for lawyers, different kinds of cases. And one day, I remember calling the University of Iowa Medical Library and talking to a librarian about some research I needed for him to find for me and copy on a Xerox and send to me hard copy in the mail. And this man said to me, I'll always remember this, there is a new thing called the World Wide Web. <laughs> and he's like, it is this system of information that we can all start to access on our computers. And you just go to this link, www, right? And then I remember this, boinga, boinga, boing, pshh. Do you guys remember this? Anybody who's my age and older? Because in five minutes of listening to that sound, then you could be connected to the World Wide Web. It was an incredible thing. In the last two years, though, that was 20 years ago, in the last two years, there has been more data created than in the entire previous history of humanity. And we are being bombarded, fire-hosed, really, on a daily basis with a steady, powerful river of this data, random bits of information and glittery, shiny objects, all meant to capture and keep our attention. And this stream of information and the fast-paced way it's being disseminated to us is actually altering the structure of our brains. We are smarter and faster in some ways as information is more accessible than ever before. But in many, many ways, our brains are actually faltering. Researchers are discovering that we're having a harder and harder time with sustained concentration. <laughs> I can see it when I look at all of you out there. We're having a harder and harder time with actual sustained face-to-face -face conversation. Our ability to use our imagination is faltering and our efforts to think reflectively on life, on God, on faith, on work are all faltering. We are multitasking more than ever before, but the myth that multitasking would help us be more productive is actually shown to be a myth. All that multitasking has helped us do is do a lot of things at the same time more poorly. We have become what one scientist called suckers for irrelevancy. Can you say cat videos? <laughs> or as King Solomon would say in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. The sheer amount of information at our literal fingertips is mind-boggling. The problem is our minds are literally being boggled. Thankfully, the scriptures do not leave us adrift in this sea of distraction. There is one instance in the entire New Testament where the word distracted actually occurs. And it's in the story of Mary and Martha too often we think of this as a story about what's more important, Jesus or housework. That's not really what this story is about. Um, Luke chapter 10, and we're just going to read our way through it and talk about it and see what the scriptures might have to say to us in this day and age. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38, it will appear on the screens or you can look at the Bible on your phones, but I'm telling you, 
<laughs> You're at great risk. So this is what, this is what the scriptures say. <clears throat> As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, Mary and Martha both lived in this home, but the narrator wants us to know this is Martha's home. So you know what that means. Do not mess with Martha. That's what that means. Continuing on, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, a couple words I want you to notice in this particular verse, the word sat and the word listening. Because first of all, to sit at a rabbi's feet in Jesus' time meant that you were a student, you were a learner. And that was definitely not a woman's spot. But I want you to notice too the word listening. The word sat and the word listening both imply intent and focus. And we're gonna come back to those words. So Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha, scripture says, and here's the one time this word is used, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And the, the series title pulled apart comes from the Greek word that means distracted, literally means to be pulled apart. The word attracted means to be pulled toward, which is exactly what was happening with Mary. She was allowing herself to be pulled toward Jesus, but not Martha. She was being pulled apart. She was being pulled away from all that really mattered. And when you just read this particular text, you get this sense in this house of anxiety and hurry and frantic activity, which is exactly what distraction does. It pulls us away from a centeredness, a sense of wholeness. It pulls away our attention and it scatters it. And then sometimes when this happens, we get a teensy weensy tiny little bit ticked off at the people around us. Exactly what happens to Martha. Continuing on, she came to him, she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, right? This is part of what distraction does. It makes us angry at everyone around us. Just look at parents when they're on their phone and their kids want their attention. So Martha's ticked at Mary and at Jesus. So now no one's happy. Thankfully, Jesus is here. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset. Stop there for just a minute. If distraction had some babies, this would be their names. <laughs> little, little twins, aren't they cute? Worried and upset, so beautiful. You are worried and upset, Jesus said, about many things. Just notice that phrase, many things. And I wonder this morning, how many of us would say, this describes our life? So many, 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 many things. Too many things making us worried and upset, pulling us apart in all kinds of different directions. No wonder Martha is so PO'd. 
Jesus continues. He said, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. If there was one phrase I would hope you could take away from today's teaching into your week, it would be this one. Few things are needed. Few things are needed, or indeed, Jesus said, only one. And he finishes by saying, Mary has chosen what is better. She's chosen it, and it will not be taken from her. If Jesus, Mary, and Martha could stand right up here next to me this morning, I think they might say to us, you are the steward of your one and only life. It is a gift every day given to you by your creator, and it is precious, and it is shorter, and it is more precarious than you understand. Don't waste it by allowing yourself to be pulled apart, to become distracted and worried and upset by the many things when only a few, maybe even only one, are needed. This ancient story of distraction was relevant in the first century, and, it, and perhaps it's even more relevant today. And so in the next four weeks, all of October, we're going to explore this exploding temptation of distraction. And we want to affirm not an anti-technology stance. That's not what we're going for here. But we want to affirm and encourage a wise understanding of technology's role in our life and a conscious, intentional use of it and a mastery over it rather than allowing it to master us. So I hope you'll sign on for this series and actually take some of our encouragement and practical application tips seriously and see what God might do in your life. But let's learn a few things from the ladies this morning, shall we, from Mary and Martha? Three truths from this story that I thought were really relevant to us, and the first thing is that we need to find our yes. We need to find our yes in life, because it is so hard to say no to the many, many, many things unless we know what our yes is. And what I mean by your yes is, what are the few things right now in this season of your life to which you believe God wants you to give your energy? Find your yes. And not only do we see this truth played out in Mary's life, but we see it also played out in Jesus' life in John uh, chapter seven, verses two through nine. There's this great story of Jesus' brothers pressuring Jesus. This is what he says. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, and he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Hey, Jesus, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you are doing these things show yourself to the world 
For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They wanted him to go and become famous. And Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet come. Jesus, just like Mary, knew his yes, and therefore he knew his no's. And so I wonder this morning how many of us know what our yeses are. Because if we don't, we will be susceptible to all the pressures around us to say yes to a billion different things that God doesn't want us to say yes to. This is not new wisdom. There was a first century Roman philosopher lived around the time of Jesus named Seneca, and he said, to be everywhere is to be nowhere. To be everywhere is to be nowhere. And to say yes to everything is to say no very often to the most important things. What is your divine yes right now? What are the few things God is calling you to devote your life to? It's the first question. Second truth from Mary and Martha and their story is not only that we need to find our yes, but we need to focus. Go back to the text and look at what it says. I pointed out this verse when I was reading through it. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Mary made this deliberate set of choices. She first of all sat down. A very intentional act. She didn't try to listen in the kitchen while she was in full freak out, scurry around mode. You know how well that works. She made a choice, a conscious choice about to where, where to place her energy. And her energy was where she placed her body and where she placed her mind. And then notice, she was listening. She was fixing and focusing herself on Jesus. And notice Jesus said, this won't be taken away from her. This choice won't be taken away from her. In some ways, I think, Mary's focus on Jesus is why that won't be taken away from her. There is power in this kind of focus. It reminds me of these beautiful words in the book of Proverbs chapter four. This is what it says. Above all else, guard your heart. So many of us know this verse. Above all else, guard your heart, that very center of who you are, for everything you do flows from it. Listen to what else this chapter of Proverbs says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left, but keep your foot from evil. What a powerful visual image for us in this day and age. Let your eyes look straight ahead. I want you to do this for a minute. I want you to all just look at me for just a minute. Just focus your eyes on me. All right, stop, because you're creeping me out. 
But seriously, there is such power in literally fixing our eyes on what we want to focus on. But our problem is, and this has now become scientifically true, our eyes are all over the place. They are bouncing off the videos and the pop-up ads and the memes and the tweets and the texts on our screens. And as go our eyes, so goes our attention, our focus, and our energy. Some of us are checking our email inboxes up to 30 times an hour. Teenagers are checking their phones sometimes up to 2,000 times a day. For a lot of us, you know, and a lot of, a lot of us do this because of work, and I get it, 10 hours a day our eyes are on our screens. And not all of that is bad. So much of it is good and powerful and productive. But let's be honest, a lot of it is just irrelevant. Right? We've become suckers for irrelevancy. Henry Walden Thoreau, you know, who went out to Walden Pond to get away from all the hustle and bustle of life all those years ago, said life is frittered away by the details. And I wonder today if he would say to us, life is frittered away by distraction. And oh, I see this in my own life, you guys. I know my yeses. I know them. And still, I find myself distracted, frittering my energy away on stuff that doesn't matter. I'm, I'm having a harder time finding space for deep thinking about my life. As a lifelong reader, I'm having a harder time sitting and reading a book without wanting to check important things like the weather or the cub score or to see who's fighting who on Twitter. I struggle to take a walk or to wait at a red light or to pump gas without somehow needing to be entertained. Dude, I was pumping gas the other day and I couldn't figure out who was talking to me. Where is this voice coming from? It was a little TV screen on the gas pump. There's this prayer in Psalm 119, verse 37, that says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and find that all I did was put my eyes on worthless things. One more video on Facebook about how to cook with cream cheese. God, turn my eyes away from worthless things things. Distraction today is an epidemic. I mean, I, I don't have to convince you of that, but here's something I want to say, and I'm saying it to myself, and I want to say it so clearly, and it's why we've devoted four weeks, this important time in the ministry season to this topic. We will not stumble anymore into a focused life. It will just not happen. We will not accidentally find ourselves in a life centered on the few things that are needed or indeed only one. We are up against a billion dollar industry vying for our attention every second of every day. So we are going to need, this is my last point from the ladies, we're gonna need to find our yes we're gonna to need to focus, and we're gonna to need to fight. It's just the truth, we're gonna to need to fight. 
It was Thomas Akempis who was the author of the classic spiritual book, The Imitation of Christ, who said this. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes. He said, fight like a man. Habit is overcome by habit. And the Apostle Paul said, I buffet my body and make it my slave. 45% of our day is made up by habitual behavior, things we do just because they're habit. And so if we have developed habits of distraction, of letting ourselves be pulled apart We need to practice replacing those habits, those habits of distraction, with habits of attention and wholehearted focus to the few things that are needed. So here's a couple ideas that I'm working out in my own life that I thought might be helpful for you as you think about ways to fight distraction. The first idea is consider starting your day with the most important things right? The few things that are needed. I wonder if I did a show of hands, I won't. But how many of us not only use our phones as our alarms in the morning, but the very first thing we expose our minds to, our mind's very first source of fuel is Facebook, news sources, Snapchat, the weather, email, whatever it is, and our day becomes one big reaction to everybody else's agenda. Good morning, everyone. Please tell me how to live. Henry Ward Beecher was a 19th century pastor, Christian pastor, pastor and abolitionist. He fought against slavery, and he said, the first hour is the rudder of the day. It sets the course for the rest of our day. So what if after the alarm went off, we put the phone away, we didn't open the computer, we kept the TV off, and we gave our soul a little silence? Maybe a little scripture. Okay, the one email you can open is your daily scripture from Orchard Hill Church. Then put it away. What if you gave some sustained thought to the one or two most important things God might want you to accomplish that day? You could even say to yourself, you know what, Alice? Few things are needed today. Just a few things. Or indeed, only one. And then you and God and not the tiny little idle gods of Screenland can determine the course of your day. Consider starting the day, focusing on the few things that are needed. Second thing, this is the last uh, idea that I had this morning, was to add a creative pause into your day. Add a creative pause into your day. There's this, also in the book of Proverbs chapter 8, there's this beautiful idea that wisdom is calling out all the time. Wisdom is trying to reach us and and get into our ears and minds, God's wisdom. This is some of what uh, Proverbs chapter 8 says. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. Wisdom, God's wisdom is calling out to us every day. And I happen to think, here's what wisdom sees when she looks at us. La, 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 la. 
And then we wonder why we can't hear. We need to reinstate what some are calling the creative pause, those little moments in your day when you intentionally disengage from screen land and the country of constant noise, and you give your mind and your heart and your soul time to rest and to roam and to perhaps hear from God. And some of the brightest thinkers of our day are scheduling chunks of downtime or even just thinking time into their week because they believe that wisdom and discernment and creativity are things that are not found on their phones but are found in the beautiful silence and stillness of the creative pause. And Christians of all people should know this. God's wisdom and his guidance for your life is often one creative pause away. So would you consider taking a walk or a run without your phone or without any kind of device? College students, could you walk to class without your earbuds in? Could you sit sometime in the middle of your day, outside or near a window, and just look outside? Give your brain and your eyes and your soul some rest. Could you turn the noise off in your car? Could you consider reading the Bible just a few minutes with no other distractions, but maybe a little notebook to jot down your thoughts? And listen to me. Your brain will think you've lost your mind, especially if you've allowed it to become addicted to the constant reinforcement of social media. When you start to engage in the creative pause, I'm saying just sit through a red light without picking up your phone. Your brain will be like monkeys in a cage, naughty monkeys, throwing bananas everywhere and screeching and chasing each other around. They'll maybe even be like those baboons with the red bottoms, mooning you, trying to get you to hook back up to the drug of screedless. Like, give it to me. God wants to speak wisdom into your life. And if you and I, however, offer him not one shred of space, when do we ever expect to hear from him? So will you, will I, like Mary like Jesus, figure out your yes, your few yeses. Focus and fight. Because the truth is, no matter what the billion dollar tech industry is trying to get us to think, Jesus' words have never rung more true. Few things are needed. And indeed, maybe only one. Let's pray. God, it is hard to focus. We have, we have, without wanting to necessarily, God, become distracted and addicted to being distracted. And my fear for my own life is that I'm going to get to the end of it and regret all the time I spent with my eyes looking at worthless things when all around me, you and your wisdom were calling out to me to live a deeper, richer, truer, fuller, more focused life on the few things 
or indeed the only one thing that really mattered. God, help us to stop following the culture like lemmings off a cliff and instead to say, no, I'm going to figure out my yes, I'm going to focus on it, and I'm going to fight distraction with habits of attention. And I'm going to do that all through the power of your Holy Spirit, God. Amen.